Welcome back to Disturbing Interest, everyone. I am Regina King, your evil queen, and sitting in her own house is my ever-beautiful partner. Hi, I am Lynn, your docent of distancing. Yes, we are still social distancing, and we encourage you to do so. Though you may miss your loved ones, you may miss your friends, we all do. It's a difficult time. We are here to support you. We appreciate everything you are doing by staying the fuck home and wearing a mask when you walk outside. Absolutely. I Speaking of masks, I found some very cool masks uh, that I sent to Barry and my stepmother Mona. I found Barry a Crown Royal bag exterior <laughs> mask. It, I mean, it sounds like I'm asking him to just put it on his face like it's a feed bag, but it's, it's actually a very nicely constructed mask. It's just the exterior layer is that little purple drawstring bag with the embroidery. So I'm going to see if, if I can get a picture. Are the hoops the drawstring? The, no, I thought uh. that would be cool, but no, they're just regular elastic, sadly. The functionality, but yes. So this is my encouragement to Barry to express himself while also not dying of COVID because he is not a spring chicken. Yeah, I love the fact that Barry is in a crown royal mask. It's fucking perfect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got myself a couple of new masks. Um, One has like rainbows and unicorns flying in a black sky all over it because it's me. And the other one says um, exclusive above it. And then it has a strip that's just the Mona Lisa smile over where my smile should be. Oh, that's what I got for Mona. Nice. My stepmother's full name is Mona Lisa. Not that one. It's just the, the face, the lower half. But yes, I thought that would be funny she'd be like haha no one ever tells me that joke <laughs> that is funny i think it's funny that mona and i also have a similar mask oh yeah you guys could both be styling on opposite coasts see masks can be expressive and fun and people in japan have been doing it just out of courtesy for fucking forever yeah just mask it or casket guys That's it's right. not hard like seriously it's a tiny piece of of cloth or paper on your the lower half of your face, it isn't like you're being put in the stockade. Just just wear it, man. Just do it. Plus, think about all the horrible faces you can be pulling at people when you're out and they can't tell. Yeah. I love that. Uh, they can tell. They can tell. They can see it in my eyes. They can see it in my eyes, too. I, I glared. I literally, with just the force of my glower and the amazing eyebrow that I inherited directly from Barry... Uh, that I can arch and just make a don't fuck with me face. I glared a woman into putting her mask back on inside the cash and carry. I'm so proud of you. And guys, she's like four yeah. foot nothing. So I'm tiny. Yeah, I'm a small, I'm not imposing at all. No, that's like a hobbit being so fucking menacing with their glare that they make somebody put a mask on. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I've worked in retail for so long in a tourist trap. So like... Uh, yeah, I have that power. Just I have the don't come for me. I like it. I have the don't come for me aisle. Oh, the best is when you can smile with the bottom part of your face. This is during non-mask times, but you have the dead shark eyes at the top. That is incredibly unsettling, and I have mastered that. You are very good at that. You are so good at that. I've seen you do it, and I was just like, wow. <laughs> come for me, shopping triflers. Come for me. Yeah. It's impressive. So what are you drinking today? Okay, so now usually we record kind of in the evening, but because of like <laughs> scheduling fuckery, it is 10.43 a.m. Pacific time. 
And uh, I was just going to be like, yeah, I'm going to have a little coffee instead. Well, I did that earlier because um, I promised you guys online that uh, you could select from the dregs of cans that are still in my fridge what I would be trying. And you pick the thing that scares me most. It is the St. Chapelle Wild Huckleberry Wine Spritz. Ooh. Wild Huckleberry Wine Spritz. Yeah, this, I feel like this is going to taste like baby aspirin. So we're going to find out. I'm going to find out. I'm going to open this sucker up and start day drinking at 1045. I'm scared, you guys. Seriously, I'm I'm scared. I'm in mortal peril here. But for your entertainment, uh, on a work day at 1045 a.m., I'm going to start drinking Wild Huckleberry uh, wine spritz. Oh, so, this is definitely um, for my yeah. entertainment. <laughs> and I'm spending today formatting. I'm doing a more more calendars because oh, Advent calendars are kind of what my pivot has been this year because they're easy to produce in house. They're inexpensive. They're fun. And I'm working on the Halloween movie final proofs that'll be able to be shipped next week to people. I can start doing production next week. Yeah, yeah. Those look really cool. And if anyone's interested in uh, looking at them or possibly purchasing one, are they up on your Etsy shop or your webpage? Where um, can they find them? They they will be as of next week. So, in fact, probably when this comes out, since it takes a little while, a hot minute to edit and format and everything, but they will be at www.com printwitchery.com and I have the Krampus calendar which I think you guys all know about but I have Halloween horror movie countdown calendars uh, that give you 30 days of when you open the little doors there's a little drawing of a film still inside and you get the fun of guessing what it is and you flip it over and it actually tells you the name of the movie and a tiny little bit about it so you can choose to like stream it or rent it and enjoy it counting your way down to Halloween since uh, we're not having parties this year, guys. I mean, shit, I don't even think kids are trick-or-treating. I think adults should just drive down the street and, like, kids can sit on the porch and you can show, throw candy at the children and, like, mini bottles of liquor at the parents. So that's what I think we should do. I am all for any holiday yeah. where I get to throw shit at people, especially oh, yeah. if they're tiny people. So... Yeah, so this is my option for that. Anyway, I've got to do a bunch of formatting, so that'll be interesting while I'm all, I love you kids because of the spritzer. But I'm going to open it and try it, and I'm scared. And if I die, it's on you people. Ready? Yep. Ooh, that was good. That was good, yeah. All right. It's kind of, it's very fizzy. Oh, God. It smells like, um, it smells like Dimatap. Do you guys remember Dimatap elixir as a kid? Like when you'd have like the not COVID flu? Oh, God. Oh, I don't know if I can do this. All right, here we go. Oh, boy. This might be you gagging on air. Oh, oh, that's that's not nice. That didn't even okay. sound nice. Oh, so like it's less sweet than I thought, which is good because the whole huckleberry thing, those are kind of tartar. But like, oh, there it is. There's the blueberry. But like blueberry in the sense of like, not what an actual blueberry or a huckleberry might taste like in the wild, but like... You know how orange soda or grape soda is that flavor? <laughs> yeah, that's what this is. What I think is great about this whole thing is on my end, I am hearing oh. your nose oh. pinch in disgust yeah. with breath. <laughs> I mean, so you know how with these canned wines, often like the first sip is highly offensive and then slowly you sort of you get inured to it. You're like the frog in the boiling water. Yeah. You're like, this is nice. This is fine. You're that dog in the burning <laughs> house. Um, I feel like 
this is sort of doing that. Like my, I've gone tongue blind to the horror of the huckleberry. So you're my, never going to be able like, to taste again is what I am hearing. <laughs> it's be like COVID for the mouth. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a it's a fruit. It's it's a fruity wine. <laughs> it's a fruit. It's, a, it's fruit adjacent. I like to hope that I'm getting a lot of vitamin C or something in here. I don't I don't know. It says carbonated grape wine with natural wild huckleberry flavor added. Yeah, no, I mean I I believe that this is all natural, but it tastes like um it tastes like Flintstones vitamins is what it tastes like. It tastes like a Disney commercial. Oh, it's it's like oh, it's like if you poured Lisa Frank under your mouth. Oh, yeah, it's like oh. liquid Lisa Frank. Yeah. Oh, that um, sounds unpleasant. It's a thing. It's so, a um, thing. you know. Ah, oh, so there you go, guys. I'm day drinking for you at ten forty-five a.m. on a Friday. It's great. This is good time. Thank you for taking one for the team. I am I drinking do. Oh, 12% coffee. percent alcohol. It's twelve percent alcohol by volume. I'm gonna die. This is great. <laughs> So you guys might be wondering why we have taken an extra long break again uh, without any announcement. And that is all on me. And I'm going to share a little bit of something personal because I feel it's important to talk about it. I'm not going to go into a lot of details here. I am going to say, though, that I was in a harassing situation in my personal life. And it happened in a professional way. And unfortunately, resulted in an order of protection uh, against somebody. And um, I was triggered because previously, I have had a death threat taken out against me in work. And it, it was a very, very difficult thing to deal with. And again, <laughs> filling out the order of protection just kind of jarred all of that trauma and made it resurface. And you all know I have been a huge supporter of mental health care, taking care of yourself when you need to. And that's what I did. I had to take some time and just deal and process with what I was going through. And I'm talking about it because. It's important to remember that people can be victimized in many different situations. It's not just being exposed to certain things. You can be just minding your business, which happens more often than not, and you are victimized by somebody that you completely do not see it coming from. And I encourage you to harness your power because you will not let that person take that power from you. Get the help you need, talk to somebody, have your support system around you. I'll tell you what, Lynn was the biggest support system to me. She is the best, and so is Mr. Aww. Meow, and so is our friend of the show, Lacey Nishdoom. They all just kind of banded together and threw a big blanket of love around my ass and said, you're going to be okay. And they were right, because I am okay. And I'm encouraging anyone out there who needs help to get help and lean in to your support system. And remember, you're not alone in any situation, and especially right now when things are even harder. So that's that's where we've been. I just needed to take a little bit of a break. And um, I'm I'm still fighting through some things, but you know what? I'm okay. 
I'm okay. And that is because of the people who love me. And I'm very fortunate. And so are you. You're not alone. And you're feeling safer in your workplace. And hopefully that's, uh, that's starting to resolve. And like, just don't get weird at people in your workplace. Just just don't. Yeah. And you know, uh, there are extenuating factors there too. I am sure the person that did this probably has some mental issues going on that they are not taking care of. And I know that they have been greatly aggravated by COVID and they are somebody who believes that it's a conspiracy and maybe doesn't like having female authority around. And so the female authority that they targeted was me. And, you know, it happens. It unfortunately happens every single day to a lot of different women. And it doesn't make it okay. But I personally believe that these are the things that happened that led up to them just kind of snapping. Yeah, don't get weird with your coworkers. Don't get weird, period. Just get help. Because had they had the help they needed, I don't think this would have happened. And this is a, this is just a shitty, tough, this is the fuckiest timeline. It is. is what it is. And it's just anything that you already are prone to or going through seems like it's exacerbated. I mean, I, I know I tend toward some anxiety and some depression and I know I'm just kind of like, I don't care anymore. It, it's hard right now to get motivated because doing stuff is scary. Doing stuff is hard. And when you don't see whether you're going to even have a future, I mean, I believe what we are, but you don't know what that's going to be like. Mm-hmm. It is hard to pull it together and muster enthusiasm for doing stuff, you know? Yeah. So absolutely, I get it. Do what you need to do. Uh, Animal Crossing, uh, the video games. I'm a phone game person, so mm-hmm. uh, that's me, phone games. Uh, drawing stupid pictures of horror movies, whatever it takes. Yep. Just as long as you, whatever it takes isn't, actually destructive to you or other people do that thing yeah yeah me i played final fantasy i finished a couple of art projects for people and yeah that's that's what i did i'm gonna that be sounds wholesome it was it was i'm gonna be packing over this next weekend because we are moving but yeah it was your life in boxes my life in my boxes life is still in boxes yes yes so Guys, if things get kind of shaky with us over the next couple of weeks, this is why. <laughs> all our shits in boxes. All, all our shits, shits in boxes. boxes. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. We've been painting. That's what we do with every free moment. We paint our walls. We're mostly yeah, done. Cut in. There, Cut in, bitch. Oh, Christ. Oh, God. And our house is like, it's Lovecraftian. Like, the angles are wrong. And it's awkward and little and weird. It's basically like a whole lot of stairs. Picture infinite stairs with landings that have furniture on it. And that's my house. So it's been great. It's been real good times. <laughs> uh, but your house is beautiful. It's not. It's clean and it's the dust levels are lower and I like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, one more thing. Item of business up front before I forget. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. So... Anyone who has tried to send us things and had them returned, we are so very sorry. Apparently, recently, the 
and I'm not disparaging USPS people, please support them. I'm thinking that they do not have enough support and maybe this is why it happened. But there was an issue with our PO box and they kind of messed some things up. However, it's fixed now. So if you would like to send Bill and Ted some lovely shrimp snacks, Rocky a hedgehog, Neko a crown so we can appropriately worship at her feet, feel free. Our PO box is fixed. It is PO box 70515 Seattle, Washington 98127. So that is where we're at. Please feel free. And as always, we welcome emails, compliments, promises you don't intend to keep at disturbinginterest at gmail.com. So absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I I fought the post office and I won. And you have something that is germane to the world we're living in right now. So maybe we should hit them with, as you suggested, a little trigger warning. Because yes, we're going to talk yes. about plaguey shit. Indeed. Um, so this may not be your episode, guys. This pushed me right over the edge. Give it, given I was teetering. But it did. It just pushed me right the fuck over the edge. So uh, trigger warning to plague. Trigger warning to, oh, racism. Uh, sexism, and just the classism. Everything old is new again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So fair warning, this may not be your episode. And hey, if it's not, that's cool. We'll be back. We'll see you next time. I would rather you go, hey, cool, check you next time, than get triggered. Yeah, next time it's Dracula. Dracula next time. Mm-hmm. All Dracula content. All Dracula, all the time. Oh, and since we've trigger warned everybody about talking about plague, just real quick, Bill and Ted have something they want you to know. Everybody talks about, oh, plague rats, people that are out without masks or that are outside rubbing up against each other and not caring about COVID. They want you to know that scientists have found that it was not rats that spread black plague. It was humans and their disgusting fleas. That's right. Human fleas that spread it. So not Bill. Not Ted, not any of their little rat cousins. Rats are clean. Blame the dirty humans. So there you go. Off my soapbox. You may continue. Okay. So we are going to be talking about Typhoid Mary today. Yay! Yeah. And I originally thought that doing Typhoid Mary right now might be a bit on the nose, but I had no idea how relevant the story of Mary Milan and asymptomatic typhoid would be to today. And that's why it triggered me. So first off, I actually felt for Mary. Much like a lot of evil queens, this was one chick that got a really bad rap. This is not the story that I thought I knew. And I got a lot of research material for this episode from a great book called Relentless by Joan Meyer. Highly recommend it. Mary Milan immigrated to the United States in 1884 when she was 15 years old from Northern Ireland because she was tired of living in poverty. It was a tough time in Ireland. The potato famine had only officially ended in 1849 and the country was still in a pretty rough place. So she was one of the many Irish immigrants that found their way to Hell's Kitchen. The mass immigration then is why so many Americans today have Irish lineage. 
However, at the time, Irish immigrants were discriminated against constantly. Many places would openly put up signs that said, no Irish when hiring. They were the Mexicans of that time period, hired for the positions that the upper class didn't want, you know, like raising their kids, cooking for their families, and anything else the upper white class couldn't be arsed to do back then. So what you're saying is if Trump were around in that time, they would be building a wall in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. Okay. Good to know. And they were also paid next to nothing for it with no benefits or even simple human rights or considerations. You know, they were the serving class. And so what you're saying is America, we've always kind of had a real big fucking class problem. Exactly. Oh, it's just a different target demographic every time. At least we're mixing it up, man. Keep it fresh. <laughs> I mean, we can be racist against white people. We keep <laughs> it original over here. Well, that's Ugh. just interesting, like, what white means. You know, in 50 years, will Mexican be considered whatever the quote-unquote white is of the day? Who will be the people that get targeted? You know, like, it's just, it's fascinating to see all that recycling and churn happen, you know? Yeah, because in 50 to 100 years from now, we're all going to be Mexican, have some kind of Hispanic heritage, like most people have Irish heritage today. And you know what? I'm half Mexican. It ain't bad. My skin is a lovely color in the sun. I don't burn. I mean, if I get super close to the equator, I burn. But that's my mom's fault. Well, I'm Scots-Irish, so uh, I just want to fight you all the time. So let's go, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, Let me plant a big Glasgow kiss on your forehead. <laughs> so it was during Mary's lifetime that major laws regarding immigration based on a lot of the prejudice was put into place. But that prejudice was aimed at the Irish, but more specifically at the Jewish communities. Oh, good. I get both. Yeah. <laughs> you are set. <laughs> I could have easily gone into several tangents here around the current immigration laws origins, as well as workers' rights laws origins in the story and how it unfolded. But I didn't because the story itself is long enough on its own. I highly encourage all of you, though, that are listening to go and look into those things because the Trump administration has allowed the National Labor Relations Board to roll back workers' rights to form unions and their ability to bargain with employers on behalf of the workers. These rights have their roots in this time period, and it colors the story. As part of the big picture, it's important to understand how equal rights tint every aspect of our culture, including typhoid, apparently. So, leaving a world of poverty to come to a world of prejudiced inequality was a hell of a bad hand to be handed. But add to that the fact that she was an unmarried woman, Mary had very few options open to her. She was really smart, though, and so immediately found out the types of jobs 
that would be open to her class and specifically her ethnicity, because ethnicities among immigrants at that time tended to determine what areas of work you had. So the Jewish immigrants worked a lot of factory positions. Irish men worked a lot of construction or the serving class. And Mary found out that she would be welcome to be a laundress, a housekeeper, or a cook, most commonly. And among the three, a well-taught cook could make twice as much as a skilled carpenter could in a week. So Mary decided to become a cook. Seems reasonable. Right? It seems intelligent, too. Walk into Hell's Kitchen and be like, excuse me, what job could I get? What pays the most? That's what I'm going to aim for. I have a goal. And she took a lot of pride in her work and became very skilled at it. Unfortunately, though, for all involved, her tendency of not washing her hands made her signature dish of peach ice cream like little bowls of extravagant death. Peaches and ice were both extravagances that we now take for extreme granted. And it was like a really, really bougie treat to have peach ice cream. Where here, my modern ass is like, hey, Instacart, I need peaches in the next two hours, please make it so chop chop. And then a minion appears at my door and presents me my peach on a golden fucking pillow while bowing to their queen. Well, at least that's how it happens in my head. It's more like ding dong, you open the door, there's a bag. But, but yeah. you know, c- close enough in these COVID times. Hey, you know what? I would rather that stay the fuck away from me yep. because of this pandemic. But they bow in my mind, so it, we're cool. Soon it'll be drones that deliver. Because giving Jeff Bezos an entire fleet of drones seems like a great idea, doesn't it? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. Seriously, we are so ungratefully accepting of these modern conveniences as a right. When I hear that Mary's signature dish was peach ice cream, we really don't realize how extravagant that was and how skilled she would have to be to make it. I mean, salt was extremely expensive back then. Getting ice literally came from an ice house. And at that area of the country, the Hudson River from, you know, winter. And then peaches you had to get from a really high-end grocer. So yeah, all of those things, big extravagance. But a little bit marred by the not washing their hands. Now, to her credit, the the whole germ theory wasn't a very, even among doctors and surgeons, wash your hands wasn't a rule. Oh, yeah. You know, at that time, like we didn't know about shit like, you know, germs and bacteria the way we do today. So it wasn't like she was like, ah, fuck them. It was that was normal to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is horrifying also. Yeah, I will say it again. I will say it again. And I'm sure I will say it again in the future. The past was fucking gross. Oh, God. Smelly, disgusting, germ-ridden, nasty, for sure. Shit, I want to just, like, take a big, like, hit of hand sanitizer just listening to you. Ugh. (laughs) Imagine what they're going to think of us in 100 years. Oh, God. They're going to be like, look at those filthy boogers. Ew, ew. 
They didn't even wear a mask. I know. I want to okay. be like cling filmed. Like if I could mm. just that. I assume that's what we'll all look like. We'll all look like giant Capri Sun pouches with like like <laughs> you know goggle areas. Yeah, that's, that's the plan. I like it. So it was in 1885 that the events unfolded that began Mary's downfall. She was pretty happy with the life that she had made at this point. She had a good home and she didn't have to share with another family or two, something that was common in that time period for immigrants. Instead, she made a good enough living that she, her dog Lucky, and her live-in boyfriend Hal had a nice place. They had meat every evening and they were not scrimping and scraping to get by like so many immigrants in New York were. She had been described as a, oh God. So this is great. The way she was described in her physical appearance was straight out unattractive, large, hulking, strong, and mannish, except for her bright blue eyes and blonde hair. But I saw a picture of her and I would challenge that narrative. And seriously, fuck y'all for writing that down and making that the narrative that we're giving her. Well, sure, you got to vilify somebody. So you got to, especially if it's a woman, be like, she looked like a man. Pretty much. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway, she was immensely proud of her peach ice cream and knew it was the dish that elevated her referrals to the affluent families that she served. So it was no surprise when it was one of the dishes that she prepared for the Warren family who had hired her to replace their cook who had fallen ill. The Warrens had rented out the Townsend house, which was actually a mansion at the top of Prospect Street in Oyster Bay. In this time period, it was common for the bourgeoisie to leave the city and the heat and spend the summer at the coast or in the country on vacation. They would usually return home on what is now Labor Day, This is also where the phrase, don't wear white after Labor Day comes from. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? The color white was traditionally worn while out of town on vacation. So the rich wouldn't wear it while they were in the city. Oh, it was their home in the Hamptons white party look. I see. see. And well, a lot of linens back then too, light material were white because that was the trend at the time for those style of clothing. However, it became an old school money rule of thumb to help differentiate from new money. Gotcha. Seriously, this is what they were focused on. Damn, thinking about all the care and fussing that goes into keeping white linen crisp and ironed and clean, especially Mm -hmm. at the time when it was, you know, you and a and some lye soap and a, and a you know washboard. Yikes, you know? Of course, yeah. only the people with a lot of money could afford to do this. Well, yeah. And of course, these are the people who are focused on this rule. You don't wear it after Labor Day because then we know you're new money and not old money. They're not going to focus on the lives and the conditions of their fellow fucking human beings around them but instead on how they can better spot people who are not as elite as they were. I mean, seriously. Aren't human beings great? What the fuck? Side note, I I can't wear white and I own a washing machine and a dryer because I'm just a (laughs) messy bitch, you know? I see, like, ads come up, you know, on my social media for these 
beautiful, slender, usually white ladies in like long white sundresses. And I think, oh, that looks so cool. And girl, you would have like huckleberry spritz down the front of that sucker within three nanoseconds of popping it over your head. We can't have nice things. I always tell Mr. Meow, I'm just a sloppy bitch. No, I need like a, I need a bib. Yeah, I can't have, we can't have nice things. I feel you. I feel you. So Oyster Bay had become a hot spot for the extreme elite, and the president himself even summered there regularly. So when the Warren household fell ill with typhoid, it was a big damn deal because they still knew so little about the disease. I mean, like we were saying about germs and stuff, this is a time period when they had just learned that dumping sewage into the rivers that you drank out of caused the spread of typhoid. Originally, they believed the water would just clean it enough on its own to make the water safe for consumption. Oh, yep. Yeah. I mean, if you listen way back to our um, our episode on Joseph Lister, I mean, think about the fact that surgeons would be reaching into your body or delivering babies with hands that had just been inside a literal corpse that they had been dissecting. And like, I don't know why all the ladies are dying. Purple fever. I don't know. It must be a foul physic from the black humors. So and, and up to this day. So absolutely. We did not know about shit like germ theory. We did not know. Yep. 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 Past was gross. Mary actually helped nurse the Warren family, two little girls and their mother and the members of the staff who became ill back to health. In fact, the Warrens later said that they would have kept her forever after what she had done for them. Well, and it's not like she knew. She wasn't like, ha ha ha, I'm gonna give these fuckers typhoid. Yeah, Yeah, in fact, she felt haunted by the disease. It, It was really terrible. It marred her entire life, and she didn't know why. But she had left after the typhoid had been resolved because she felt so haunted by the disease. She didn't want to be around it. Mr. Warren had already had typhoid and was the only one in the house who wasn't at risk of catching it. But wealthy men weren't expected to actually know how to take care of their families as far as caregiving. And I mean, that's why they hired staff. And that's why he leaned so heavily on Mary's expertise, because she was a pro at caring for typhoid since the disease had haunted her from the womb. She even lost her husband, Sean, and her daughter, Colleen Milan, to it. However, I couldn't find any more information about these two other than their names. So I'm not sure when it happened or what the ages of death were. All I know is that they were there. And a lot of people don't even mention them or you don't hear about them. So it's it's interesting to finally hear these two people's names because they seem to very much have been lost in the narrative of this story. Anyway, after watching the people you love the most die in the world from typhoid, I'm sure it's easy to see why she would run from the disease and the trauma that would come along with it, especially when traumas were left untreated in that time period and were a part of everyday fucking life. Like, wake up, traumatized. Eat lunch, traumatized. Oh, some guy's waggling his dick out at you? You must have been showing your ankle fucking traumatized. I'm amazed that we have society. Do you know what I mean? Like... (laughs) We're not just still in like mud holes, like 
jabbing frogs with pointy sticks. Because Jesus Christ, you know? I'm sorry, but when the world falls apart and we just devolve as a society in, in total, I want to be in a hole jabbing a frog with a pointy stick. That's all I want for the rest of no my life. No peach ice cream, just pointy stick frog. Yep, that's it. Anyway, Mrs. Townsend, the widow who owned the Townsend house, yeah, eh, 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 names, eh, she was worried that her home had become what was then known as a typhoid house. Usually this was a result of the water tanks or septic systems being infected or somehow crossing over. So the widow Townsend, who was worried her only form of income renting out the mansion her husband had left her when she died, was being threatened, went to the leading expert on typhoid at the time, a man by the name of George Soper, who was with the Department of Health in New York City. George Soper has gone down in the annals of history as a brilliant man who discovered the first asymptomatic carrier of typhoid. However, he was also a bit of a bigoted tight ass who zeroed in on Mary and made it his life's work to have her locked away, mostly because she was an unmarried woman living in sin, not supporting a family, Irish, and a cook for the wealthy. However, it was to Soper that Mrs. Townsend took her concerns and requested an investigation of her property be done. Soper went out to Oyster Bay and began to investigate with a Dr. Sarah Josephine Baker, who went by Josephine. Josephine was also a super interesting character herself. She was the woman who would later be responsible for the invention of baby formula and really dropping infant mortality rates in the U.S. She championed licensing for midwives, having a nurse or a doctor in every school, and teaching proper childcare skills that greatly reduce smothering deaths in infants. I kind of like her. Right? Please tell me she's not like milkshake duck later on. No, no, no. Oh, good. I need someone to not be an asshole. She was part of everything that happened, but she actually really felt bad for Mary and what happened with her. Anyway, she also made children the main focus of her life work. Get this, because the only class she didn't pass in medical school was the class in The Normal Child. The Normal Child. Right? Okay. I, I'm not going to lie. I would not have passed that class. I am. I was not a normal child. I, I read that and I laughed my ass off for a good I'm five like, minutes. Have you met children? I don't think there's anything <laughs> normal about any child I've met. I don't mean that in a bad way. No, that that's fucking hilarious. I don't care. The normal child. That's fucking hilarious. I've met children. They ain't normal. Nope. Nope. So. They go out to the Townsend house and after investigating the staff and property, give it a clean bill of health. Now, old lady Townsend might have been as pleased as punch over this, but Soper and Baker were determined to find the cause of the typhoid. They interviewed the Warren family and discovered that compared to the timeline for incubation and the presentation of typhoid, the only outside factor was Mary Milan's arrival, and the only uncooked food that she had served was her peach ice cream. So here's an interesting little factoid. 
The origin of the title cook actually developed from the way courses were served. Salads and uncooked items were usually prepared by the serving staff, and anything that was cooked was prepared by the cook and served by the staff. The exception to this rule was with the staff themselves. For staff meals, cooks made the salads too, which is why so many of the people Mary actually did, in fact, were staff of the family she worked for. Immediately, Soper and Baker started trying to find Mary with the thought that she might be an asymptomatic carrier. One of my favorite details had to do with the staffing service Mary worked for. Its name was Mrs. Something's Agency, but it was run by a man. Aha. He used a woman's name. Right? Right? He used a woman's name as the business's name because then women were more likely to work for him and refer their friends. For fuck's sake, they've been pulling the wool over our eyes for as long as there's been wool. We need to do more research behind what type of bullshit we're helping support, ladies. Let's stay the fuck away from Mrs. Doubtfire's agency. Anyway, this schmuck is the one who Soper went to and asked for help in trying to find Mary. But anyone in the world of agency workers will tell you when a contractor isn't on contract with you, it's near impossible to reach them. But Soper asked for the information of her references, and it was tracking down these work references that a pattern began to appear. One that Mary thought was a lifelong curse. Typhoid followed her wherever she went. It was this extensive search for Mary that led to the first article being published about the possible typhoid Mary's existence. You see, Soper had a friend who was a journalist. And when he got him to publish the article while they were searching for her in hopes that somebody would turn her in and they would be able to stop the spread of typhoid, a disease that killed about 3% of those infected, He didn't think about the publicity that it was going to cause and the permanent stigma attached to her when she was found. Either that or he just didn't care. What we do know is that he found her days before the article actually ran. In the end, after months of tracing Mary, they found her in the home of the Bowen family. The Bowen's daughter, Selena, had taken ill with typhoid, and Soper had been called in to find out why. It turns out that little Selena had been helping Mary make a fancy new recipe called a brownie, and she had tasted the uncooked batter. Oh, no, see? Uncooked batter really will kill you. It it will if the cook has fucking typhoid and doesn't wash their hands. (laughs) So, and also, side note, hey, all you Edibles fans out there, this is the time period that the pot brownie had to have been invented. And I'm sure that if Married was more focused on those being her specialty instead of peach ice cream, her victims would have been a lot happier when they died. So more Alice B. Toklas than Ben and Jerry. Okay. But there, in the Bowen's kitchen, Soper finally found Mary and immediately took his foot his entire foot, and stuffed it straight in his mouth. 
you know, I've known some thick, tactless motherfuckers in my day, but George Soper is the textbook example of how not to tell somebody that you think they might be an asymptomatic carrier of anything. In fact, Mary was so insulted by the way Soper presented the idea to her that she chased him out of her kitchen, actually not even her kitchen, the Bowen's kitchen, with a knife. This is an immigrant woman chasing a figure of authority out of her employer's kitchen with a knife. I mean, think about it. You've been cursed by a disease haunting you every step of your life, infecting your family, friends, co-workers, and employers. And now some guy from the health department comes and tells you that you might be the cause of all of this grief. When there is a small child upstairs, sick and possibly dying. That's a lot of guilt to accept for someone who understands germs and how they work let alone for an uneducated immigrant in a time when they had just stopped dumping sewage in the drinking water. What you're saying is his bedside manner was great. Yeah, like whopping somebody over the head with a lead fucking pipe. Mary knew that she was not sick and had never had typhoid. However, she couldn't ease her mind that what he had said might be true. And so she went to a chemist and had a test done to make sure she didn't want to infect people. And she got what she thought was a clean bill of health. And so when Dr. Baker came knocking on her door, she didn't greet her with a kitchen knife in hand, but she was still extremely bristled by her initial encounter with Sober and the newly released article about her and not exactly keen to listen to Baker, especially when she had just received her test results saying that she was fine from this chemist. You are not the father. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's even like today. Like we, do you trust your tests? Do you not trust the tests? Uh, Nobody knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And she ended up kicking Baker out. So what did Soper say exactly that started this relationship off on such a bad note? Aside from insinuating that all of the typhoid in her life was her fault. Well, he told her that she had to stop being a cook and offered to give her money for letting him write a book about her. All of this went over like a lead balloon with an independent woman who was proud of her skill as a chef. I mean, seriously. Oi. So Mary was arrested while back at work at the Bowens because the Department of Health wasn't just going to let her keep cooking for people and spreading typhoid. And honestly, if Mary had been a bit more pleasant and accepting in her response, it might have been an entirely different scenario that unfolded. However, that's not how things went down. You see, one of the staff told Mary that the cops had come for her and gave her enough time to slip out the back and to vault over a very tall brick wall into an alley where she entered a service entrance door to another house and hid there for five and a half hours. Jesus. Yeah, this is totally turned into like a caper at this point. Right? Mary Milan, hide and seek fucking champion of the decade right there. Wow. 
when they did find her, they didn't know how much of a fight they were in for. And what's great, they actually found her by a little piece of her dress and snagged on the door. <laughs> and that that told the police where to find her. But they didn't know what kind of fight they were in for. You have to remember, she had this Irish fire running through her veins, much like yours. Oh, yeah. The Irish, a fighty people. It's what caused her to chase a fucking government official out of a kitchen with a knife. She she was a hellcat. Oh, God, I can just picture my grandma fully. You go into her house like like that, she would have beaten the living hell out of you. Mm-hmm. And we weren't lace curtain Irish. We're shanty Irish. So, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And she was, too. So, when I tell you she came out swinging like a fucking bar brawler and immediately knocked out one of the officers, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise, right? Not not at all. So, fuck the police. Well done, Mary. Yep. What is a surprise, though, is that it took four male police officers and Dr. Baker, she was sitting on top of Mary, to hold her down. Jesus. They barely managed to do it. Wow. (laughs) She was then taken to North Brother Island, which at that time was used as a TB ward and kept in isolation while all types of tests were run on her. The cultures had to be sent to Germany, but when they came back as positive, the health department gave her one of two options. One, have her gallbladder removed. and Which, yeah, re- gallbladder removal at that time, again, remember our Joseph Lister episode? Yeah. yeah. Wasn't yes. a laparoscopic, easy, no, no surgery. It was... No. It was yeah. life or death. It was yep. life or death. It was a very, very risky surgery. And most likely you wouldn't make it through. If you didn't die from the surgery, you'd probably die from the infection. Sepsis. Yep. Yep. The reason they wanted to remove her gallbladder, though, is that is where the typhoid was located. So it was either that, you know, cake or death, or she could choose a life of isolation and imprisonment. Wow, what a neat, neat choice there. Yeah. And that might have been expected from the government, you know, to protect the public from this disease. Except she wasn't the only asymptomatic carrier out there. In fact, they found others, some even working as cooks. Oh, good. Yeah, or in the food industry in some way. Milk processing plants. Because how would you know? Right. And Soper, who at this point was being heralded for his discovery, would work with these people and the city would often set them up as an apprentice to get another career to support themselves and their family. But not Mary? Not Mary. Fred Morish is a good example of this. He was trained to be a plumber's apprentice and never spent a day forcibly confined. He also wasn't forced to have surgery. And you might ask why. Oh, yeah, I would like to know. Because he's magic? Be prepared to be pissed off. Because the only reasons that I could find for this are pure bullshit. The other asymptomatic carriers were men. Ah. And most with families to support. Oh, they weren't slatterns. Seriously. Useless slatterns. She was singled out because she was an unagreeable fucking woman. Fuck the patriarchy. 
Fuck it. I I want a button now that says "Don't fuck with me. I'm Irish." I want a T-shirt that says "Fuck the patriarchy." I want a flag. I have one that has the unicorn. I got a unicorn one with the trample the patriarchy on I it. I love that. I want a flag that I can wave that says "Fuck the patriarchy," and I will just wave it. Oh. Anyway, Mary spent two years in isolation on North Brother Island. Her only companion during this time was her dog, Lucky, a shepherd. Oh, Lucky! My God, I love you, Lucky. Her shepherd that she credited to keeping her sane. Buddy. Yeah. And on occasion, her friend Aggie would visit. Hal only came once in the beginning to bring Lucky, and I couldn't find any reason to why that was. He did stand by her, though. And the guards were cruel to her, and the head nurse was pissed because her chambers were being turned into Mary's isolation cell. So it wasn't a good life there. And during this imprisonment, Mary wrote letters to everyone she could think of asking for help about this imprisonment without any trial. It was an imprisonment she still did not truly believe was justified since she had gone to the chemist. She still didn't believe it. And, you know, all of you out there upset at being forced to wear a mask, you're probably not listening to our podcast, but she was literally shut in solitary for being an asymptomatic carrier with an illness that only killed about 3% of the people it infected. Let that sink in before you start talking about your personal fucking freedoms being trampled because you have to wear a bit of fabric over your inconsiderate fucking face. Aggie, her sweet little immigrant Irish laundress friend, ended up being the only one who finally got somebody to listen. Go Aggie! Go Aggie! Aggie was working for a well-known lawyer at the time in the practice of medical injustice, George Francis O'Neill, and she told him about Mary. I'm not sure how William Randolph Hearst, the fucking czar of yellow journalism himself, got involved, but at one point Mary did write a letter to him asking for help or some kind of coverage. Anyhow, Hearst ended up paying the bills for Mr. O'Neill's defense of Mary. The case was groundbreaking and how the Department of Health conducts matters of quarantine. It was hugely covered in the papers, not surprising considering the bankroller of her defense. And at first, she was ruled to remain at North Brother Island. And during the ruling, she was dragged out of the court kicking and screaming. Why? Because Mary wasn't going to take shit from anyone. Wow, now I need to go fuck yourself, I'm Irish pin. Yes. Then in 1912, there was a turnover in the local politicians. And with it, like so many other stories, came a turnover in the minds of those in charge of her predicament. So they went back to court, and this time she was granted freedom. She was released with the terms that she would report to the Department of Health once a week, that she would never work as a cook again, and they gave her a generous total of, get this, 200 fucking dollars minus her living expenses, minus her living expenses, for all the laundry that she had done while she was incarcerated on North Brother Island. 
Again, so much like today. Think about how little they pay convicts in California for fighting fucking fires. Yep. 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 In the same amount of time, though, she could have made $4,000 as a cook, which in today's money would be $109,095. Oh, God bless. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a moment and let that sink in. This lone immigrant unmarried woman was making today's equivalent of a six-figure income. So for Mary to be forced to give up that income and become a laundress was a huge step down for her. It hit them financially drastically. Hal and Lucky and she were slammed. But they got by. And it was okay because she wasn't incarcerated anymore. She even took up a suit against the Department of Health for wrongful imprisonment. And Hearst still footed the bill for it. However, the world wasn't kind to Mary. And when she broke her arms on some black ice in the winter, washing clothes became impossible. They lost everything and had to move to an even worse neighborhood. Yeah, like the worst living conditions. Mary started working as a mop woman, which was occasional work at best. And I know it really isn't right, but all I can picture is Carol Burnett as the mop woman in a fucking cast. (laughs) Oi. Just spreading typhoid about with her. At the time, she lived in a neighborhood where she had a lot of Jewish neighbors Most of the girls were working in factories, and Mary herself might have ended up in one, except for two major things that happened right around the same time. The first was a little thing called the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Oy. Yup. And now I'm sure many of you, sweet listeners, are audibly questioning how in the holy fuck these two stories could overlap, but here we are. For those of you who don't know what this particular fuckery is about, let me give you a quick overview. 146 workers, mostly women and girls, died in a fire at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Their managers had locked the fire escape doors, trying to prevent them from taking unscheduled breaks or from leaving early. That's right. They were locked the fuck in and they burnt to death. This is an atrocity that changed the face of factories and workers' rights forever. It exposed the depths of man's treachery towards those he would make a profit off of, and how, to those men in charge, a profit was all some lives were worth. It was a time when moral outrage and dissent finally began to see change with unions, OSHA laws, all of these stem in this moment. However, many of these girls were Mary's own neighbors, like I said, and already feeling like she had been persecuted by the bureaucracy. Watching them die could not have been easy. Then the final blow, that second thing that happened to her, came 
when she lost her wrongful persecution case against the Department of Health. Ugh, because of course she did. Of course she did. The government ultimately ruled in its own favor, stating that her eventual trial had served as justice. So, it didn't matter that she was only a symptomatic carrier that was isolated. And it didn't matter that all the others were given training, go into other professions. And eventually, it wouldn't matter that they would all end up going back to cooking and infect many more people. No, no, none of that matter. And here is where I think Mary went from unfortunate victim to something far worse. Instead, she quit checking in with the health department and took off to work as a cook in a hotel in Atlantic City at the Hotel Marlboro. And all I can think about is Marlboro Man. And so in my mind, everybody in that hotel is dressed up like a cowboy. See, whereas I was like, I wonder if like Nana was over there. Not really, because it would have been a lot later. But Barry's mom, huge fan of Atlantic City and gambling. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. Who knew? We're, we're a classy bunch, let me just say. <laughs> so, of course, when they broke out in typhoid, they called an expert. <sighs> Can you guess who? Oi. Is it our good doctor? That's right. Dr. Bedside Manor? Yep, it's George Soper. Well, he wasn't even a doctor. That was the best part about George Soper. But, yes. However, as soon as there was an outbreak... Mary would quit and take off again, leaving George hot on her heels and completely obsessed with finding her. At one point, she went home and found Hal ill and dying. Not from typhoid, though, but still dying. It must have been a terrible loss because she gave her friend Aggie her closest companion, Lucky, and left to take different cooking positions. She cooked at hotels and even started an outbreak in a maternity hospital. Oh, God. Yep. However, she worked there for several months before she did, meaning that she was at least trying to wash her fucking hands from time to time. But no, I mean, think about that. If she infected a pregnant woman, there you go. You probably have another new asymptomatic carrier. (sighs) So... What we're learning here is if you treat people like people, they won't be forced into desperate situations that keep them doing the bad thing that we didn't want them to do in the first place. Uh, That's a good lesson. Also, wash your fucking hands. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that should go without saying, but I mean, Christ, like I I wash my hands so much that I have like get a little bit of eczema. My eczema lately is like, you want to go? Like, the back of my hands makes me look like Freddy Krueger. So it's good times. It's good times lately. Nice. Yeah. So in the end, it was two regular police officers that caught her. Not Soper. Two regular beat cops. They followed her from a train station to her friend Aggie's house. They had been given the heads up to watch for her from Soper, of course. There she decided for the first time not to fight and to just surrender herself and go to North Brother Island peacefully. She'd lost everything. I'm sure it wasn't that hard. And at this point, she had to know that she was actually spreading typhoid. Possibly my favorite part about the story, though, is that there is 
often a mistelling that she never told anyone about her experience with typhoid. But the truth is, she just never sat down with Soper to do an interview. It was her absolute pleasure to deny him that one thing that he wanted so badly. She wrote a ton of letters, though, to other people and communicated about typhoid and her experience with it, which is where a lot of this information comes from, is her personal letters for this book that I read. In the end, Mary ended up becoming a nurse herself and helped care for the patients on the island. Eventually, she would be granted permission to leave the island in the day to visit her friends, and she would always return to her chambers in the evening. She didn't run anymore. Mary Milan died on North Brother Island at 70 years of age after spending 26 years imprisoned for being an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid. There are only three deaths that can be conclusively linked to her. And after she passed, of course, they couldn't just leave her body be. No, no. They did an autopsy. Which, uh, yeah. I mean, I get it, but there in her gallbladder, they found it. The typhoid. And that, my gentle friends, is my telling of the story of Typhoid Mary. Wow. Well, that, uh, yeah, that's uh, everything old is new again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Although, again, you're not even supposed to guess quarantine anymore, says the C.D. Trump C. Uh, if you're asymptomatic, you don't need a test, and we should all get now herd immunity by licking grandpa. So, yeah, I guess. I mean, Jesus. I'm not licking I'm- grandpa. I'm not licking anyone. When I feel like, wow, maybe the health department at the turn of the century when we didn't know to wash our hands seemed like it was doing a better job than whatever politicized crazy bullshit we have today. It's it's the fuckiest timeline. Yeah, it really is. Well, since this has been the super bummer time, I just wanted to let everybody know we have a whole roving cast of characters that we discuss here in the in our personal lives. Have I told you guys about Buff Niles Crane? No, but I'm here for it. Lives across the street from me. I am here for Buff Niles Crane. So we have a a neighbor uh, who has become a, I I think of him in in these giant air quotes, a figure of fun uh, around this household. And this dude looks like from the neck down an underwear model. Like it's like having Marky Mark and the whole funky bunch across the street from us and he is allergic to shirts it turns out because he is always out there like shirtless maybe a tank top little shorts and he is he's ripped like jesus like he is a buff the the man works out but from the neck up he looks like niles crane from fraser he looks like david hyde pierce Hey, I think he is a very handsome man. I'm I'm totally for, but it's such a weird, you know, kind of juxtaposition. And he, I think of him as the um, alternate feminist universe version of the 1980s and 90s music video girls who were always (laughs) out there washing their cars in little bikinis, right? Because he's always out there washing his, and he, he has... A um, bright blue Porsche. Oh my God. He's always lovingly caressing with his sudsy body. <laughs> now he's purchased a red crotch rocket, a little vroom, vroom, of course uh, motorcycle that he's just super into. 
And he is hilarious. He's always out in the front yard, kind of like preening and like, you know, working on his, touching his cars. And it's the funniest goddamn thing. And I literally have friends who are always like, give us the Frasier, give us the Frasier report, right? Uh, you know, is he out there? What's up? And it's, it's hilarious. I have friends who will literally just visit me in the hopes of seeing this guy. And I find it hilarious. So here's to you, Buff Niles Crane, my neighbor. And your red crotch rocket. And you being a thirst trap. Yeah, he is. He is the thirstiest trap. <laughs> he, he's, uh, he's David Thought Pierce across the street from us. <sighs> and I'm here for it. It's very entertaining. And I hope everyone else is here for it because I know I am. Yeah, I just thought that little moment of levity might entertain you guys since this was this was a heavy bummer. Sorry, guys. I always do the heaviest okay. of fucking episodes. So heavy, I had a problem with it this time. What the fuck? Anyway. I mean, I've been thinking about the next episode. I'm like, I should do something really socially important. But oh my God. I mean, like, I'm ready to just, like, literally crawl into a bag of wine at this point. So it's going to be all Dracula all the time next time for me, personally. (laughs) I'm here for it. Yeah, we're here to impale your Vlads, my friends. All right. Well, on that note, take care of each other. And remember... You might be disturbed, but... But at least you all know how to wash your goddamn hands. That's right. And you're not alone.